0: It's a thrill and a privilege today, and we're so thankful to the Lord for leading us and bringing us to this place, and thankful to many of you, men, women, and children who have labored in prayer and have prayed for our church, our church body, one another, and uh, whom the Lord has used to bring us to this place and bring us to this Moment, which is nothing less in my mind than a miracle, really. Um, Our theme this summer has been taken from the God breathed words of 1 Timothy, and it's been God's high calling for gospel leadership in his local church. God's high calling for gospel leadership in his local church. And hopefully, you've been able to watch and follow along, but the good news that has been repeatedly proclaimed by our deacons and our elders, is that God has not abandoned His children. He has not left us on our own to live as orphans or as latchkey children. And I know sometimes when things are hard and things are difficult and we are separated, the lie from the pit, the temptation from Satan is to think that God has left us To fend for ourselves, that we've got to figure this out on our own and just do the best we can. I tend to bore my family members with soccer documentaries. It's one of the ways I inflict pain and sorrow in their lives. Soccer, also known as football, or better known as footy around the world, is really very similar to what basketball is in America. For many around the world, football or soccer is a ticket out for poor people, a ticket to a better life. And one of the soccer documentaries I was watching recently interviewed a soccer star whose parents were refugees from Ghana, and he recalled growing up how his parents, in order to survive in Spain, had to work multiple jobs, and his father even had to go to London For a period of time in order to work to support the family. His life growing up consisted of parents who loved him but could never be with him. And he also told the story how one period in time where his parents were working so many jobs. His father, his mother was out working and his father would wait until the children were tucked in. He would love them, he would tuck them into bed at night and then wait until they fell asleep. And then had to leave and lock the door and leave his children alone while he went to work a job. Those are stories which I'm sure some of you are familiar with. It's an immigrant story. On the other side, we have the wealthy story of wealthy parents who are never around. And they send their children to boarding schools or the finest prep schools. And assume that those are the things that are going to get their children through life. And whether you're extremely wealthy or extremely poor, the reality of parents who are absent has become, in many ways, the norm of our world. And we bring that many times, sadly, into our understanding of the Lord and the church. We've just got to make the best decisions that we can. And oh well, we did our best. We did the best that we could. But as we come to 1 Timothy and we come to God's word, the Lord shows us, not only does he love us, but he is very much present In our lives. And not only is he present in our lives. He desires to be present. In our lives. And that is because he is not an absent father. He is a good. And present. And loving father. Who leads and cares. For his children always. Not some of the time. Brothers and sisters. But always. He leads and cares for us always. And how does he lead and care for us? Is it by a democracy where he gets us together in a room and we vote and he says, okay, majority rules? No, absolutely not. He's directly involved and he leads us always and he cares for us always and he loves for us always first with his spirit and his word. That's what we sang about this morning. He leads us directly by his spirit and his word. But then he also leads us with the use of servant shepherds. Very specifically, the servant shepherds of his word. Those servant shepherds he specifies in his word. And this is very much what the Apostle Paul has been talking about in 1 Timothy and what the elders and deacons have been sharing with you. These servant shepherds are not hired help. They are not serving and shepherding for a paycheck or for a job or for a career or or for a stepping stone somewhere else or because they like to do it. His servant shepherds, very clearly, as Paul points out, are his children. They are older siblings. And they are children whose lives have been transformed by his word. Brothers and sisters, that's essentially what what the elders and deacons have been sharing with you from 1 Timothy. What is gospel leadership? Why is it such a high calling? And as we walk through, the elders and deacons showed us it's not a list of to do, to do, to do, to do. It's really a heart. And it's a heart that has been transformed by the word of the Lord. According to 1 Timothy, brothers and sisters, this is what a pastor Is to be. I've just given you my job description. So you can rate me and give me the bonus. Or throw me out. This is what a pastor is to be. This is what an elder is to be. This is what a deacon is to be. This is what a husband is to be. This is what a father is to be. They are to be a child of God. Who are like their father in heaven. They are to be a child of God whose lives have been transformed by God's Word. They are to be children whose lives are actively being led by God's Word. And very specifically, the good news of Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, it's, it's not rocket science. All we need to do is we need to look at Jesus. The perfect life who was led by the Father and the Spirit and did everything according to his word. It's not muddled or confusing who the Lord looks to, to love and care for his sheep. It's those sheep who are like him, who are following him. And the clear testimony of God's word in First Timothy, especially First Timothy chapter 1, is that such a life and such a calling is no work of man can't become that sort of man by going to seminary. You can't become that sort of man by going to church. You can't become that sort of man by taking a class. Life that has been transformed by the word of God and that is led in every aspect of its life, our work, our marriage, our career, the homes we buy, the cars we buy, the directions we go, the words that come out of our mouth, the choices we make of where we're going to be, that type of life, brothers and sisters, that is led by the Lord is entirely a miracle and work of God. Miracle and work of God that transforms someone who was once led by their desires, the desires of the things of this world, and transforms that heart into a child of God who is led by God's desires, the desires of God's Word. Brothers and sisters, that's what we've been studying this summer in our book club as we've gone through this topic of conversion, biblical conversion. Biblical conversion is not raising a hand and saying, okay, I'm going to make a lifestyle choice and I'm going to join Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose. That may be part of the experience, but the real experience is God has come in and transformed a heart and opened and softened it and changed it and filled it with the love of Christ so that the desires of that heart are the desires of the Lord. It's filled with the love of Christ. And brothers and sisters, as we've seen, and we look in God's word, and this is what Paul is telling Timothy, that is nothing less than a miracle of the Lord where God's Spirit has shown up and wonderfully transformed a life. That's obviously what happened to the Apostle Paul. The result of that, brothers and sisters, and I think this is where Paul is going with Timothy in 1 Timothy, he's showing Timothy that such a person's leadership is really nothing less And the leadership of their shepherd. Brothers and sisters. You will all lead. Men. Women. You'll all have an influence. You'll all set a direction. And you'll all give counsel and influence other people. But your leadership will always be a reflection of the one you were following. What's leading your life? Is it our paycheck? Is it our career? Is it our safety? Is it our health? Whatever it is. Is it our family? Whatever it is that leads our life, that is in turn how we will lead. And the Apostle Paul is showing Timothy in that first chapter of First Timothy. Timothy, the leadership of the church, the leadership in your life. Christ died so that it would be his leadership and not your leadership. And that it would be the leadership of his word. And so it's worth asking ourselves from time to time in our lives and to do that check. Who or what is leading our lives? How do we make the decisions of whether we wear masks or we don't wear masks? Whether we get vaccinated or we don't get vaccinated. Whether we gather or we do not gather. At the end of the day, our leadership is a reflection of who we're following. As we come to God's Word, God shows us That one of the most precious and wonderful and beautiful gifts he has given his children in love is the gift of his very own leadership. He doesn't farm it out. He doesn't contract it out. The leadership that he has given us is his very own leadership. So what we have to do in order to understand what the leadership of the church is meant to be and what God's high calling for leadership is, whether it be a husband or a father or an elder or a deacon, we must first understand what God's leadership is. We must first understand what it means to be led by the Lord. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to go back to Psalm 23 and I'm going to try and draw some connections between Psalm 23 and First and Second Timothy. Because I am convinced that Paul, as he goes through 1st and 2nd Timothy, very much is leaning on the word of the Lord, and specifically, whether he's making that connection or not, that Psalm 23 very much informs it, because the leadership that Paul is talking about is the same leadership that David is talking about. It's the leadership of Jesus Christ, the Lord who is our good shepherd. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me back to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, and I'll read this together from the English Standard Version. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Brothers and sisters, how does the Lord love us? The Lord loves us by leading His sheep to Himself. By leading His sheep to Himself. And it's with these God-breathed words that King David shares with Israel and us the blessing and the joy of trusting in God's leadership rather than our own leadership. What King David knew and what he'd lived firsthand That the blessing and joy of trusting in God's leadership is a precious and priceless gift. And with those words that he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. King David shows everyone and confesses publicly in the congregation and in the temple courtyards who is leading his life. It's for the record, there's nothing hidden. No covert operation. Everybody very clearly. This is who my shepherd is. And you can hold me accountable to that. In my kingship, my family, every aspect of my life. The Lord is my shepherd. And afterwards, what David does is he sums up for us what godly leadership is all about. Be it in Israel, be it in church, be it in the home. Godly leadership is simply about trusting and following God's perfect and loving leadership. You want to be a leader? Follow the Lord. Godly leadership is about trusting and following God's perfect and loving leadership. And because of that, it means trusting and following God's word in every aspect of our lives. That's what Kevin Al highlighted for us Last week, that notion, that idea that it's about faithfulness, it's not about perfection as we look at deacons, but are we faithful to the mystery of the gospel in good conscience? Are we saying every aspect of my life, my parenting, my work, is it in line and is it walking in step with where the Lord is leading? Brothers and sisters, show me a godly leader and I will show you a lamb. Whose life is led not by the unholy people or desires of this world. I will show you a lamb whose life is led by the holy desires of a good God. By his Holy Spirit, by his word in every aspect of their lives. When King David succeeded, that was the story of his life. And when he failed, that was not the story of his life. Similarly with the Apostle Paul. Similarly with Timothy. But most explicitly, where do we see that? We see that in the Son. See that in Jesus. And that brings us to our first point for this morning. The Lord leads and cares for His sheep with His Word. The Lord leads and cares for His sheep with His Word. Now, I know this sounds obvious. And I know at the church we sort of rhyme this off. Yes, the Lord leads. But... We have to look at our own lives. If you say that and you believe that is every aspect of your life led by his word. When you make a decision of what sort of jobs you will take. What rule does God's word take into consideration? When we think about whether we're going to homeschool our kids or send them to the public school or private school. When we think of the trips that we will take. When we think about... What we do on our vacations, brothers and sisters, to what extent does the word of the Lord weigh in and lead and inform the direction and the choices that we make? Well, what King David does is he comes here and he says, brothers, this isn't a burden for me. That the Lord is going to say where I'm going to take my vacation or what type of work I'm going to do. This is a joy to me. This is a delight to me because where the Lord leads, that's where he is. And what King David is saying in verse 1 through 3: in love, the Lord leads and cares perfectly for us with his word. In love. That is where we experience, brothers and sisters, the sweetness of the Lord's love in a fallen world. Verse 2, he says, he makes me, doesn't say he asks, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. He restores or He revives my soul. Brothers and sisters, what is it that truly nourishes and restores a soul? Not temporarily, but fully. Is it a spa treatment? Is it pills? Is it therapy? Is it a vacation? Is it sports? Well, in Psalm 19, King David mentions none of these things. Instead, in Psalm 19, King David mentions, what is perfect, and what is sweeter than honey, and what is it that restores and revives and revitalizes a soul it says it 's the torah god 's instruction it 's the written word of the Lord these are the things that are sweeter than honey that is perfect and that restores and revives and revitalizes a weary and tired soul and in psalm twenty three King David uses the exact same language. He restores my soul. Well, that's the same language for what he uses in Psalm 19, where he says it revives the soul. Clearly, to King David, central to the Lord's shepherding and his love of his sheep is the nourishing and cleansing ministry of his word in our lives that restores and revitalizes and gives life to our souls, brothers and sisters. And in Hebrew, that word restore or revive is also the same word that is used for repentance. You've heard this many times for us when we think and we tell someone, oh, you need to repent. Or we talk about repentance or we do member care. And the subject of repentance is, oh, getting taken out to the back of the woodshed to get a few uh, licks, you know, to set it straight. You know, it's just, oh, did we fail? But you come in here and you you see when David's using this word, what is it, brothers and sisters, that restores and revitalizes the love of God in our lives? What is it that refreshes the weary and tired and discouraged sheep who's been beaten down by living in a hard and difficult world? It's God's word that turns our lives around and brings it back to the one who is the lover of our souls. Like the prodigal son, repentance and the repentance of God's word is what leads us home to a loving and compassionate father who runs to embrace and kiss us and clothe us with clean robes and shoes and put on a feast to celebrate that we have come home. we see, brothers and sisters, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God has not changed. In love, God always leads and cares for and restores and nurtures and revitalizes His sheep with His Word. Because that's what brings us back to Him. And as we come to the New Testament, we come to 1 Timothy, what is it that the Apostle Paul is up in arms over? He's up in arms first and foremost over how church members in the local church in Ephesus... Are handling God's word. He's up in arms. Over how church members. In the local church. Are misusing and abusing. Parts of God's word. Brothers and sisters. Why do we abuse and misuse God's word. In the church. And outside the church. It's typically because. We don't value. Or respect it. Because we know better than God. Because we want something different than what God has clearly put in his path. So we'll do somersaults and we'll go online and look look for articles and look for blogs and find that verse or part of a verse that supports what I would like to do. We talked about that with the deacons and elders in our Bible studies as we look through commentaries and we research and you come up with these strange views and when you come up with these strange views it's interesting how it takes longer and longer and longer for these people to find an explanation for something that's very simple and straightforward and it's because they're doing somersaults to rationalize and manipulate God's word to get an answer that they want. What was obvious to King David and the Apostle Paul is that to misuse or abuse or simply neglect God's word is to misuse and abuse and neglect God's love and leadership and care for our souls. And that's the point that Jesus was making to the Pharisees and the scribes on a regular basis. You know the word of the Lord, but you don't know God. You don't know his power and you don't know the word. And that's why you are cruel men who put burdens on people. And nobody can experience the love of God through your ministry because you're abusing and misusing the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, how often do we get discouraged and lost because we have not cherished or valued the love and the leadership and the care God gives us through His word. When we open our Bibles and we have our devotions first thing in the morning, brothers and sisters. It's worthwhile stopping and maybe thanking the Lord before we start. And so it's not this academic science textbook. And and maybe just say to the Lord, Lord, thank you for loving me and caring for me with your word. Thank you, even if I don't understand it completely, that you have given me everything that I need for life and godliness to get through this day and get through these dark times. Love, the Lord always leads and cares for His sheep with His Word. And why does He do that? That brings us to our second point this morning. Because the Lord's Word helps us walk by faith with Him. Because the Lord's Word helps us walk by faith with Him. What King David knew, what he confessed, what he expressed by faith and what he lived. Most of the time. That the God of the Bible is a good and loving father and shepherd whose holy desire in love is that his sheep would always, not sometimes, sheep would always walk with him. Brothers and sisters, to always walk with the Lord means to walk wherever he goes. Where he goes, we go. If he's up at night, we're up at night. If he's down, we're down. If he goes left, we go left. If he goes right, we go right. It's to walk wherever he goes. Because to walk wherever he goes is to walk with him and be with him. The problem is, walking with a holy God is no easy task. Walking with a holy God is no easy task for unholy sheep who are walking through an unholy world. And that's to some degree what we sang about in the, the, the song that Eric took us through. The second song. That we're unable to fulfill God's commands. We can't do it on our own. Many years ago I had the opportunity to spend some time on the coast of Italy with some friends. and Opened up the guidebooks and read in this area called the Cinque Terre. That there's this wonderful beautiful hike that takes place where you get to walk through this beautiful hike along the coast of Italy, and, and as you go, you get to go through all of these five fishing towns. And like the ignorant Americans that we were, young, young man swagger, figured, okay, we'll wake up tomorrow morning, we'll go on this hike, have breakfast, head out. So as we entered this hike, you know, in the, the beginning of the trail... We saw these European hikers coming from the opposite direction finishing their hike. They looked nothing like us. First of all, they had gotten up at the crack of dawn to do it before the sun was up. Second, they came in tall, lean, wiry, muscular, hiking cleats, hiking ski poles. My friends looked at me and said, maybe this Trail is a little more than we bargained for because we looked nothing like them. We had the sinking feeling as we looked at these hikers and realized we looked nothing like them that maybe we weren't going to make it. Sure enough, we made it to the first of five towns and then called for a taxi to take us back to our hotel. But when we come to verse 3 and 4 where King David talks about what the Lord does and how He leads us. He shows us that anyone who would suggest that walking with God is a breeze or it's a cakewalk, that person is a liar. First, because the Lord always walks in paths of righteousness. And we, brothers and sisters, are not righteous. And secondly, because His paths of righteousness in verse 4 necessarily lead through the valley of the shadow of death. And what King David and Moses and the disciples discovered in the hard way was that without God's help, they would never make it. Their hearts were too sinful and this world is too wicked. They couldn't do it on their own. Peter, yes, I will never deny you. Three times. That will never happen. I'll follow you until I die. And then sure enough, as soon as the shepherd is separated, these, all, all of them abandon Jesus. And brothers and sisters, we're not better than, than the disciples. If we are to walk with our shepherd, we need his help every minute and every moment. Praise God, we have a Father who knows that and understands that and understands our frailties and our weaknesses. And we have a great high priest who intercedes on our behalf and prays for us because he knows we need his help. We need him to nourish and restore us. We need him to comfort and carry us. We need him to protect and discipline us when we rebel and when we wander. And brothers and sisters, when are sheep most at risk to wander from their shepherd? When we are tired and when we are weary and the path is long and dark and scary. We start to believe the lie that God is not present but has abandoned us and has left us to ourselves in a dark and scary place. That, brothers and sisters, is a lie from the pit. What is it that God uses to nourish and restore us? To comfort and carry us? To discipline and protect us? To remind us that he loves us and is with us in the darkest of moments. And most difficult of places. Well clearly for King David. For the apostles and for Jesus. It was the word of the Lord that helped them walk by faith with God. It's why when you Read all those epistles that the Apostle Paul is writing to churches that are being persecuted, thrown in jail, losing their property. How the Apostle Paul reminds them repeatedly in those beginning chapters of those epistles of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. God has sent his son and he has crucified His own Son in order to make you His own. Nothing is going to separate you from the love of God. He is going to work all things for good, even though right now you're in a dark place. He has left you with His Spirit. He has not abandoned you. Don't listen to the world. Just because your circumstances look terrible, when you come to God's Word, you realize your life actually looks a lot more like the Gospel than it looks like the world. What is it that keeps us from stumbling and straying in the dark? It's the promises of God. Because God is good for what He has promised to us. And that's why the psalmist says in Psalm 119, 109, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Without it, I'm going to get lost. In verse 11 of Psalm 119, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. What does Jesus do when He is in the wilderness? For 40 days and 40 nights. And Satan comes and tempts him when he's hungry. He doesn't look for a friend. He recalls and recites the word of the Lord. And that is his comfort. His strength and his fortress. Against the ugliness of this world. And a devil who will offer us everything. To separate us from the love of God. Brothers and sisters, don't kid yourself. We are in the same battle. Where everything in this world, from our software to our sports, the hands of the devil will be used to separate you from the love of your Creator. And that's why when we come to first and second Timothy, and you come to Second Timothy. Paul exhorts Timothy, what is it that's able to make you wise for salvation? Not ESPN. It's it's the scriptures. And what is it that is able to make the man of God complete for every good work? To love and equip the saints, to take care of his family, to shepherd friends through difficult times, to help that family whose child is in the hospital, to help that family whose family member has passed away, to help that that church member whose family member is in a distant place and they can't get to them. Not a helicopter or a million dollars. Sharing with Will, when when he talked to me and he shared with me the conundrum he's in with a father who is on life support in a foreign country. Sharing with Will and saying, Will, you know what? We feel better. We think if I could just be my, my, by my father's side, everything would be right. But I said, Will, once we get there and we're at that life support machine, what can you and I do for our family members? Nothing. What we need is the spirit of a sovereign God who created and fearfully and wonderfully made us and saved souls, whether they're on life support or they're awake. We need that God in that place. Will, what we need is the promise of God's word of who He is. We need prayer. The word of the Lord, brothers and sisters, that puts things right side up for our health, for our families. And we've got to think about this even as we consider this gathering together. Why do we gather, brothers and sisters? Why do we come close? What is it that helps us overcome all the challenges that stand in the way of worshiping the Lord and being with Him? Well, that's why the Lord sent His Son to die for us. And that's why He gave us His Word. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, the Lord will even use affliction in our lives. Hard things, difficulties, things that are heartbreaking and sorrowful, but he'll use them to bring us back to his word. Psalm 119, 67 Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Psalm 71, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Brothers and sisters, why would God afflict us so that we can learn His Word? Because it's His Word, brothers and sisters, that showers us with His love and draws us back to Him and shows us the path home. We come to the New Testament. We come to the Book of Acts, we come to 1 Timothy. What does the Lord call His apostles and shepherds to prioritize in their love and care for His sheep? Prayer and the ministry of the Word. He says, look, don't lose sight of this. This is the priority. Why? Because that's where God's best love is given. And that's not to minimize waiting on tables. But if we wait on tables at the expense of, if we do programs at the expense of God's Word, And prayer in our homes and families. If the things that are running our families, not that they're bad, but if it comes at the expense, husbands and fathers, of prayer for our children and our wives and the ministry of the word and feeding them with the word, if it comes at the expense of that, brothers and sisters, our families are going to die in the vine. Because what helps our families walk with the Lord and be with him is the word. God gave it in love to help us. As we consider that, we see, as we come to God's Word, and and Paul makes this a priority, men are to lead in the church, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling in prayer. We're to lead men in prayer. Why? Because biblical prayer is simply a confession that we can't do it on our own. We need the help of God's Word to walk with Him. That's what biblical prayer is. It's leaning on the promises of God. And what is the promise of God's word? In Christ, he will always give us the help we need to walk with him. Christ, he will always give us the help we need to walk with him. Brothers and sisters, that's what we pray for. And brothers and sisters, if we're going to love and lead and care for others... Our love and leading has to be the love and leading of God's word and God's prayer. And that was Jesus for the disciples, right? Jesus is continually interceding on their behalf. He's continually praying for them. He's continually watching over them in prayer. Guess what, brothers and sisters? In your darkest moments, if you are a child of God, he is interceding on your behalf, whether you see it, feel it, or know it. Because that is the promise of God's Word. Brings us to our third and final point for this morning. The Lord always leads His sheep home. The Lord always, not sometimes, leads His sheep home. I sometimes exacerbate my boys as I drive because I'm not the best of drivers and I go from place to place and occasionally or frequently they get car sick and they wonder if we're ever going to make it home. But the good thing, brothers and sisters, about the Lord, when he leads with his word is he doesn't take us on roundabouts or circuitous paths. He leads us straight home. But sometimes, as we're going back and forth in this life where we get lost, we need someone to remind us to keep the end in sight. My early years in medical school, there were many horrific nights where I was up late in the cadaver lounge. It wasn't really a lounge, not coffee or tea or anything. It was a room filled with dead bodies that were donated to science, which you stayed up late dissecting in order to pass your anatomy exams. There were many of those nights where I said to myself, what am I doing here? And what is this all about? And if you were blessed enough, perhaps sometimes there would be an older medical student or a resident or an intern in the lounge who would encourage you and remind you that the cadaver lounge was just a step along the way that the real end purpose was to take care of living people, not those dead cadavers. In Psalm 23, what King David does is he comes alongside us and he reminds us that dark valleys and discipline are without doubt necessary in the Christian life. But for the Lord's sheep dark valleys and discipline are not the end and they're not the final destination. In verses 5 through 6, King David shows us that the end and final destination where the Lord in love always leads his sheep is a place where the Lord no longer serves as shepherd. Instead, it is a place Where the Lord now assumes and reveals his rightful role. It is a place where his sheep have the opportunity to see him for who he truly is. Brothers and sisters. The Lord's role as a servant shepherd is for a time and a period to take us through this dark and sinful world. But it is not entirely who he is. The Lord is leading His sheep, as King David shows, to a place where the Lord shares in love with His sheep who He truly is, His rightful role as the triumphant King of glory, the Lord of lords, the God of truth and grace, whose desire and whose right is to lavish unceasing goodness, mercy, honor, and love. The child of faith, who has walked with him through the valley and shadow of death for the child who by faith has followed him, not part of the way, but all of the way home. Verse 5, King David writes, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. The ancient Near East kings would celebrate great triumphs and warm battle with victory feasts. And invited to share the king's table and invited to share the victory were those who were nearest and dearest to the king. The king's beloved family members, not all the family members, his beloved family members and his honored guests. And as an honored guest of the king's victory table, part of the preparation for such a celebration was to have your hands and feet washed. And to have your head anointed with oil and on some occasions to be given clothing to wear that was a gift from the king. These were done, the hand washing and the feet washing and the anointing of the head with oil by the king's servants or his diacone or his deacons. Servants of the church and deacons, do you know that one of our roles is to lavish God's love and grace and goodness and mercy on his children and those who gather at his table? We are not just doing a job. an extension brothers and sisters for everyone who serves in the church from the parking lot duty to moving the benches. What we're doing brothers and sisters is we are extending God's love and goodness and mercy and bringing people to a place where they can be showered with the love and grace of God as opposed to the filth and the legalism and the meritocracy of the world. What a noble calling and what a gift and a privilege greater than anything a physician could do. But brothers and sisters, also part of the victory celebration frequently in the ancient Near East is that the king would bring in his conquered and captured enemies. And they were brought into the feast, not to sit at his table, but they were brought in to see and witness the victory celebration, and they were there to be seen by everyone else. To be seen by everyone now no longer as kings and as Threats, But now to be seen as the slaves of the conquering king. Men who were dependent on the king for food and life. And who would never again be feared or able to hurt anyone the king loved. When King David writes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When he writes, you anoint my head with oil. King David is telling everyone that his personal participation in this celebration... Is entirely the Lord's work. It's entirely the fruit of God's leadership in his life. That David has done nothing to be here. This is, you did this for me. You took care of me in this way. This is where you got me to. It's not because I was smart or clever. Or better than the rest. And what is the result of God's leadership in David's life? And this is what he wants the whole congregation of Israel to see. What is the result of the Lord's leadership, including being led through some of those dark and difficult places? My cup overflows, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, not some of the days of my life, but all of the days of my life. Brothers and sisters, what is this end? What is this final destination? Where is this place of goodness and blessing where the Lord lavishes his goodness and mercy in our lives and shows us and reveals to us who it is that's been leading us all along? While we watched him come into this world, we saw a man with dirt in his hands and his feet. Failed to see that the one who was leading us all along was the king of glory who prepared a feast for us, a victory feast, and a table for us to sit at, and a place in which we could be blessed. Not, brothers and sisters, with the material possessions of this world. Not with the better job, the better spouse, the better paycheck, the better friends. What is it that he blesses us with? Nothing but the best his goodness and mercy. Where is this place? Well, in verse 6, King David tells us where this place is explicitly. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Brothers and sisters, what King David knew was that the house of blessing is not a palace filled with pretty women or fast cars. King David had all that. King David knew that the house of blessing... The place of never-ending goodness and mercy and compassion for sinners. Mercy, compassion for sinners. That's the place where King David wanted to end up. He wanted to end up in a place where someone would show compassion for a sinner. Not patting the shoulder for the best and the fastest and those guys who did better than everybody else. Compassion for sinners. Where is that place? It's not in the world, brothers and sisters. It's not at Google or Apple or the corporations and it's not in the nonprofits or the protests either there's only one place that lives up to that claim the place where the king of goodness and mercy dwells the house of the lord i'm going to close with this if you have your bibles turn with me to first timothy 3:14 1 Timothy 3.14, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things. Things about elders and deacons. I am writing these things to you, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in what? The household of God. Literally in the Greek, the house of God. Oikos. Oikos theos the house of god. so you may know how to behave or conduct yourselves in the house of God which is what let me hear you say it shout to the tv screen the church of the living god a pillar and buttress of the truth brothers and sisters what the apostle paul knew is that god had sent his only son to die for your sins and mine so that we like david might dwell in the house of the lord forever That house of the Lord is no building made by men or stone. The house of the Lord is where the God of goodness and mercy dwells with those he loves and delights in. The house of the Lord, the house of God, is the ecclesia. The gathering of God's people. It is the church, brothers and sisters. And what God has given us here is a foreshadow and a taste of what is going to be a fuller experience of experiencing being face-to-face with Christ in His presence. But we have that already, brothers and sisters. A seal and a down payment through His Word and through His Spirit. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. And so that's why the Apostle Paul is so up in arms with Timothy about how the church is being run, because he appreciates more than anyone else this is the place where Christ dwells, and this is the place where Christ showers his love and his goodness and his care and his mercy for unworthy sinners. Timothy, I know it firsthand. So why are you going off and abandon, and letting these men abandon the word of God, misuse the word of God, worship any way they see fit, take care of one another, run their marriages, their homes, their families? Timothy, this is the high calling of God's word and leadership because this is the high calling of the church. It's the house of mercy and goodness and it is the dwelling place. Of the Lord. Brothers and sisters. This is where the Lord. Has been leading his people. With his word all along. This is where he's led us today. And perhaps sometimes. The Lord has to take these things away from us. For us to begin to appreciate. What it is really all about. It's not a lifestyle choice. Brothers and sisters. It's a gift. Of God's love that he. Crucified his own son. To accomplish for us. His mercy, His goodness and grace. That is what has built this house and the lives of His people. And brothers and sisters, by extension, that's what the leadership of the church is supposed to be about. So that raises a final question. Who is leading your life? And if I can encourage you and exhort you, brothers and sisters, today is just an amazing and beautiful day. It's a gift of God's love. Please make it a priority to thank the Lord that He has made it possible that some of us can be in a place, the dwelling place of the Lord, where He showers His goodness and grace through His Word and gives us the help we need to follow Him and to walk with Him. Brothers and sisters, I don't let anybody take care of our kids, contrary to what some of you have helped us may think. Okay? Okay? It's not willy-nilly, and usually Julie and I restrict it to the church family, for sure. Because we love our kids. We don't want anybody to take care of our kids. We want people we can trust. And in fact, we want people who are going to love them and care for them in the same way we do, or at least is a glimpse of that. And on very rare occasions, if Julie and I are going to be away for longer than a couple of hours... Julie, not me. But Julie will leave this list for those who are taking care of our kids with all the detailed instructions. This is what time they go to bed. This is what book like they like read before they go to bed. This is what they need. This is what they brush their teeth with. All of those details are laid out. Would we leave those instructions with someone who's going to say, "Ah, Mark and Julie, you know, we've got a few places that they could improve as parents." I think we should do A, B, C, D, and E, and they get off the road map. Well, that relationship wouldn't last long, would it? Why? Because we love our kids. And what we want when we leave someone with our kids, and we leave someone with those instructions, is we want those children loved and cared for in the way in which we love and care for our children. Brothers and sisters, that is what the church is to be. And that is what leadership in the church is to be. And that's what God has given us. And brothers and sisters, that is worth rejoicing because you will find that nowhere else in this world. What we have to look forward to is that what we have been given is a foretaste of what we will experience in full when Christ comes again. That is worth celebrating now and into eternity, no matter what the cost. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, what a shepherd you are. What a king you are. How you love us and you shower us with your love and goodness. By bringing us into your home. May we never take it for granted. May we guard and protect it. May we treasure it. And may we realize that the place we really need to be. The best. The safest. The most wonderful. The most necessary place we need to be. Is to be with you. May we ever experience that in increasing measure every Lord's day. In your name we pray, amen.